Hi, I'm Andy Psarianos. Hi, I'm Robin Potter. Hi, I'm Adam Gifford. This is the School of School Podcast. Are you a math teacher looking for CPD to strengthen your skills? Math No Problem has a variety of courses to suit your needs. From textbook implementation to the essentials of teaching math mastery, visit mathsnoproblem.com today to learn more. Welcome back to another episode of the School of School podcast. I'm joined by our usual suspects, Adam and Andy. And today we have a special guest, Craig Parkinson. Now, Craig, you do have a bit of a bio, so if you don't mind, please introduce yourself. Um, so um, I, I started my professional academic career as a secondary maths teacher. I came into education um, in my 30s. Um, loved watching children make progress and light bulbs come on, but realized that as professionals, we could do that as well. So it was a natural progression to move into uh, the, the training world. So I've, for the last six years, been a maths no problem trainer. Um, training schools around the UK. Um, For the last 11 years, I've worked with Professor Hattie and his team delivering the Visible Learning Plus work throughout the UK. Um, And um, I also um, work as a certified Clifton Strengths coach um, with Gallup, uh, looking at how we can focus on what's right about people rather than obsessing relentlessly about what's wrong with them. Could you perhaps explain more about what a strengths coach is? So um, Cl- Clifton Strengths is, um, w- w- let's just go back a little bit before that. Before I became a coach, I wanted to find the, the most, um, what, I, what I thought was the most valid and, and uh, rigorous coaching program that, that was out there. And the pandemic gave me that space to, to look for that. Um, and, and Gallup's Clifton Strengths coaching um, goes back about 60 years. Um, Gallup, a, a, a huge talent organization, uh, international company, um, the database of um clients that they've got is, 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 is you know, 95% of the Fortune 500 companies in the US use it. And one of my Clifton strengths is one called significance. I like being associated with, um, with, with high quality things and with successful things. So, um, so, so I steer towards that. And what Clifton strengths um, helps you do is find out what's, um, what you're naturally good at, what you're naturally disposed towards. Because as adults, we we sort of gone through enough lived experiences to to favour um, certain things. Um, my number one Clifton Strength theme is learner. Um, I just love standing on the the, the, the looking on the cutting edge of things and looking to the horizon, thinking. So what else can we find out about this? I don't need to pass exams. I just love learning and, and being curious. Um, and, and Clifton Strengths allowed me the chance to to discover what made me me and then I can be more of it more often. I wonder, I was just thinking when you're saying that, you know how sometimes some, some, someone might say to you, do you know what, you're a really empathetic person or you're this or you're that and because it's a positive thing you think I'll grab that with both hands, yeah I am, yeah no absolutely and for the next two weeks I'll tell everyone, you know, it's just, oh, did, did I mention that I was really empathetic and, and, a, and a super <laughs> duper da, 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 or whatever it is, right? <laughs> So yeah. let's so, talk about me. I'm really empathetic. Yeah, it's, no, no, no. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, 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 but is it, like, I suppose what I'm getting at is it accurate? How do you, how do you like, or, or is it one of those where where it it it, it makes us feel good because mm. the the traits that do, do you ever like do one of these these things and it goes right? Mm. You're a narcissist. You're a horrible person. You're a, you're a 
pathological liar. Or, do you know what I mean? Do you, know, do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Is it accurate? That's what I'm asking. Listen, I, 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 I totally get it. I'll, I'll, I'll just come to the accuracy in a moment. Um, that there are 34 themes. Um, and, and what you do, you, when you, you get your report, your eyes want to go to what's in your bottom five because naturally we want to see what we're rubbish at. <laughs> you know, that's what we do. We, we like to throw stones at ourselves a little bit too often. In my bottom five, I've got empathy. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm not empathetic and I don't look at it and think, oh, so therefore I'm like a really selfish person who doesn't care about anybody else. Um, it just happens to be something that I don't do as naturally as all the other things. Um, so with regards to the accuracy, I've, I've coached a few hundred people now and every time they get the report, I always say to them, right, you read your report and see to what extent you think it's true and let somebody else who knows you read your report and see if they think it's true as well. Do you get the chance to see yourself as others see you? And there's not been one, I'll tell a lie, only one person said it didn't represent them, but they downloaded the report of Don Clifton, who's the uh, the pioneer of uh, positive psychology. And they went, I'm not futuristic. And I went, and neither are you a 60-year-old American. Um, you know, you're, you're a 30-year-old woman from, from Yorkshire. Um, but everybody has said, this really, really resonates with me. That's interesting. Um, yeah, and, that's really and, interesting. And I've, I've had somebody yeah. um, who really knows psychometric testing look at this, and they said that the author of, of the assessment is is the world authority on psychometric testing. Um, and the the validity and stability of the assessment that you to, that you look at is 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 really incredibly strong. I don't think there's anything um, out there that I could see that that was such high quality. Yeah, well, I didn't mean to give you a grilling. I was just curious. I was just curious. <laughs> I thought, well, I'm also. I'm low on harmony as well. No, it's okay. My, my harmony is in my bottom five. So, so you know, I'll, I'll always stand up for a fight if there is one. <laughs> um, I've got connectedness as my number five theme. Now, connectedness means that I, I see the world as like a, an, an ecosystem. So whilst I'm low in empathy, I'm really high on not wanting to rock the boat. I want to send positive waves out because I know that there's an ecosystem that I don't want to disrupt. So if I send positivity out into, you know, the, the, the universe, positivity will come back. If I send negativity out, you know, that, you know, that that's how my connectedness works. Um, but, that, but that point about these things are learnable. But if you were to spend um, five days learning how to to be better at your number one theme and compare that spending five days on spending how to be better at your bottom number 34 theme, you, you won't get nearer to excellence working on your weakness you get nearer to excellence working on the things that you do well. And rather than trying to become sort of like fully rounded individuals who are uh, jack of all trades, master of none, which you can't get them all, all the scales up to up to, to 10 out of 10. Um, we have to decide what to invest our time in. And when when people invest their their efforts um, in, in the things that they naturally do well and, and, and really, really push those, then they tend to have greater levels of well-being, of satisfaction, um, of, um, of effectiveness. Whereas when you look at the other things, it just stops you not being good at something. So how does this relate to the classroom? Well, I think that there's, there's a split screen that we, we can talk about here. So when we're in the classroom as teachers, um, when we get pupils who are becoming more metacognitive, they don't need direction. They don't need to be told what to do. They don't need that task level feedback um, that comes from the instructional model of feedback. They need to be coached more. So where you've got somebody whose uh, competence level is much higher, that you need to coach them. You need to help draw out of them what it is that's um, th th that's possible. Whereas when your um, you, you, competence level is low, then you, you don't coach, you just mentor, don't you? You just tell them what you're meant to do. Uh, so in the classroom, 
coaching needs to be the, the thing that you offer to pupils when the level of competence is high enough for them to be able to do it. With adults, it's about saying, um, okay, I, I, I can coach somebody or mentor someone. If I mentor someone, I'm going to do more of the heavy lifting. I'm going to be you know, getting more tired because I'm going to tell them what to do. And I'm also taking more of the responsibility. So I've the agency and, um, and such is with me. Whereas when I coach somebody, we might not get to the solution just as quickly, but they've got real ownership of it. And then I think where we have uh, professional agency and autonomy, where that's because that's been shown, if you want a motivated profession, make sure that the profession has agency and autonomy. And the best way to give somebody agency and autonomy is in a coaching way. Because if you give them mentor way, it's just you keep carrying me and then I'll keep letting you. Just like with the children in the classroom, you just tell me what to do. Uh, and I'll do it. And that didactic contract that uh, Brousseau talks about, you know, where I as the teacher tell you what to do and you you fulfill the contract by doing it. That's not a coaching transaction. Whereas when you coach somebody, you you, you use educate in the, in the sort of Latin rooted word educare, which is not to fill in, but to draw out of somebody. I'm a bit stuck here. I don't, I, I have to think about this. Um, like I'm trying to understand, so like you know, we use words like didactic. So didactic, for example, is tends to be a dirty word in most instances uh, in education nowadays. Anyway, in the past, that was kind of the model that we used, right? So, you know, but but then there are didactic natures in some of the things that we do, like mathematics. The structures of mathematics, there's there's some, di you know, it's quite didactic in nature. I think even. I remember hearing Tony Gardner talk about this. I think there's even a video on YouTube about it. You know, it's kind of like there's the structures in mathematics are very didactic. That's to say that you have to learn this before you learn that, and that really shouldn't be left to chance because if you do, then the the the, the likelihood that the children have the correct learning journey as they go through something is really unlikely. That's why you know, discovery learning in general isn't necessarily the best model to apply for certain topics, right? Uh, although it may work for some, it doesn't work for all topics. So, so this is where teachers' professional judgment and the education systems and the publishers and everybody else need to be mindful and aware of where didactics play a role. Um, mentoring and coaching, you know, again, like, uh, you know, sometimes you have to do direct instruction because there's just stuff that, you know, it's just, you have to know this. It's just a fact and you have to know it. And, you know, there's no thinking that will ever lead you to the right answer. What's a good example? The alphabet comes in a certain order. Like, why does the letter B come before C? Who knows? I, I don't know. There's some <laughs> history. It probably started in Greece, of course. But, you know. It, <laughs> Just waiting for that. <laughs> so, so, you know, that's, that's like, uh, how do you teach that? There's only one way to teach. You know, you, it's, it's kind of rote. It's didactic in nature, right? So, you know, coaching and mentoring. <laughs> coaching is not going to get you there, right? I think the, the, the point is, is that, that all these different types of helping people get to where they need to be uh, require uh, sound judgment as to when to use what. Um, and, that's, and that's kind of, and, and understanding that, that one method doesn't always work or isn't always the most efficient or the most effective in a particular scenario and that sometimes you have to modify what you do based on the requirements of the task. Uh, okay, so what am I saying? I, I, I guess for me, coaching is, is, I think what Craig said is, is right. I think 
in order for someone to be coached effectively or to be a good recipient of coaching, they have to be ready. They have to be at a certain level, right? If you don't know, and they have to, and, and I think the, the trick for a teacher is knowing when do you coach, when do you mentor, when do you just tell it like it is, right? And I don't know, it's, so it's got my whole mind spinning about, you know, what is the role of coaching? Because it's different at different age groups. In secondary school, you should probably be doing more coaching than you are in, let's say, reception. Right? Or it's a different type of coaching and reception, right? It's like trying to manipulate children not to fight over a toy or whatever, right? Um, I don't know, Adam, you got, come on, you, you jump in here. You're being quiet. Yeah, no, I, I, I just think, I think one of the things that, that I think has to be said in amongst all of this is it's both of these things require a massive skill set. And, and the best coaches are those that have learned those moments when to coach, when to mentor, and what that coaching looks like. You know, because there are going to be times where, and, and there has to be that balance. There can't be one or the other. Because if I spend all day just saying to the children, all right, so what do you think this is? And where do you think it goes? And how many, you know, can you find another way to do it? And that's all I ever do. And they're sitting there going, no, I, I don't know how to do another way. And I'll say, all right, well, let's try again tomorrow. And let's do it the next day. And let's do it the next They'll just give up, you know. like So I think there, there has to be time. If, if the house is on fire and there's a... <laughs> There's a bucket of petrol and there's a bucket of water. <laughs> I don't want the fireman going, grab one of each and have a wee go and you decide that in the future fire, what do you want? You want someone to say to you, grab that bucket, throw it on there. Now, let's consider why we use that afterwards, you know? And and I think that, that where I find both of these things go wrong is when there's not a, a sound enough judgment on when to use either of them. So I remember being told about, you know, the, the uh, oh, God, I can't even remember what it was wrapped up. And let's just say, and I don't mean this in a, how it sounds literally, but it was like philosophy of teaching or, or, or something. But what it, what it equated to, what this particular course equated to was asking questions, you, you know, well, why do you think that, that we use that shape paper? Why do we did it? And, and I saw a lot of people do it really poorly, which meant it was just frustrating but then on the flip side of it, I've seen a lot of people that don't give people a chance to think about something. They just tell them. And that's equally as frustrating because it's like, well, can you at least give me a chance? Like, don't make the cake for me, right? I want to make it, please. I just, I'm sick of watching you making cakes. It sucks. I want to have a go. I want to crack the eggs. Let me do that, you know? So I think it's about balance and skill set. And I think we can't downplay that that skill set gets increasingly better, which makes our judgment better. And there's a place for both. I think that's that's what I'd come to. Uh, I, th I think you I think you're right in terms of a, a place for both. Um, but one one of the structures that, that you can use to see whether somebody's ready for coaching or not is um, when when you look at the solo taxonomy, how you have uh, quantity of knowledge on one one half of it, how much do you know, and then quality of knowledge of how well do you know it. If somebody's only at the knowledge building phase, I don't think you really need to be working with metacognition necessarily at that point or coaching at that point because you don't have sufficient knowledge to be able to do anything with it. Um, but, you know, Piaget talks about giving people ample processing time. Um, and Zoltan, um, uh, uh, yeah, Zoltan Deans talks about, you know, let, don't don't rush to the big reveal for the pupils. Let them do an element of constructivism there to see if they can draw it out for themselves. And if not, then we either step in and say, right, competence levels at such a level, so we need to mentor at this point. Um, I, I need to sort of be more didactic. Um, or 
at the moment we've got some good ideas there once we've got some some good ideas and we've crossed over into the qualitative phase of learning you know how well do you know it what relations are you making with this schema that you've got in front of you um what what hypotheses and conjectures are you do you now have when you're at that phase then you want to be be using coaching i think that's that's how i i see it used best in the classroom but i think i think what you've just described though that's a massive skill set though isn't it like if I was oh, a yeah, brand new yeah. teacher coming into a classroom, I think I think what we have to acknowledge is sometimes I think we talk about the headlines. We talk about oh yeah, coaching's great for this. It really brings out you know brings the pupils on massively. Um, let's do a you know like half hour staff meeting and then go away and use coaching. But but the reality is is that that the skill set that's involved in, in anything, you know like what's the what's the common denominator with probably the best coaches in the world? If if any, it doesn't matter whether it's sport or in any environment. They've got experience of doing it, you know, like no one has their first job at the very, you know, the, 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 the absolute pinnacle. But, but surely those, that skill set needs to be developed and we just need to be mindful of that. I think that's all I'm trying to say is, is that the application of it in the classroom, we need to understand what it looks like, when to use it and those things. And that takes a while to, to, to understand, to, to utilise effectively. If I could pick up on the point about, um, you know, great coaches have been able to demonstrate the the skill set that's required. I used to think that was true because I, I've been coached by, you know, the world's uh, best squash coaches. Um, and, and they've been good. They haven't been the world's best players themselves, but they've known the game. But I now coach people outside of education. I coach uh, leaders of, of, of industry. Um, I don't know anything about their industry, but I, I can coach them because they've got sufficient knowledge to be able to say, to, to answer the powerful questions that I put towards them. So a great coach really can coach. You, you end up coaching the person, not the player in sport when they get so good. It's you, you, it's, it's not the, 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 the technique and, and, and with teachers, um, it's not the pedagogical um, choices that they're going for. You, you, you coach the person. But when you're a new starter, which is why teachers have mentors and not coaches, um, the mentors are there to try and keep the, the, the bandwidth of the teacher open um, so that they're able to function. Because we know as soon as you, the lesson starts, your bandwidth goes from fiber uh, to dial up. You know, it really shrinks very, very quickly, doesn't it? I'm always wondering, you know, can you be a great mentor and not necessarily a coach? Do they have to go hand in hand? I think so. Yeah, and just from my own my own anecdote, um, because I, I ended up playing squash at a, a fairly decent level, um, and and the, the the club coaches sometimes are the ones who are the, the mentors. They tell you how to hold the racket and and such. Then go to the next people, help you with strategy. Um, they, they don't need to, to worry about the, you know, can you hold the racket right? Because you're there for a different reason. Uh, so you go from mentoring into, into coaching, which is, you know, the, the, the strategic part, not how do you play this shot, but um, what shot options do you have available to you and which one might you use? And then you get to the, the world-class coaches and they're doing something totally different. They're not showing you how to hold the racket anymore. They're, they're working in a very, very different way. So I think there are some people who are phenomenal mentors who, who probably are, are, are best keeping as mentors and there are some people who are phenomenal coaches who couldn't be mentors i for example i would much rather coach somebody than mentor somebody because i love when it, when, when people make connections between things and i love it when people go i've created this thing i like it when they have that you know the heuristics that eureka moment um you don't get that if you mentor somebody unless they go oh i get now why i do it 
But if I can get, if I can coach somebody who then goes, I know exactly what I'm going to do now because I know what what's on my 30 day sort of um, horizon, and I know which of my strengths I'm going to use in 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 which sort of order to help me to get to that place. Um, I'm going to use this from the toolkit and this and this and the the, the toolkit of strengths is for for me. I've got my learner, I've got my strategic, I've got input and intellection and connectedness. Um, I know when to use communication. Um, I know when to turn it off or I try to, but as teachers, we're not very good at turning that bit off. Um, so you, you have that intentionality and, and you, you, you then have autonomy as well. And that then a lot of teachers and, and, and leaders um, that I speak to are saying, obviously, with the pandemic, my mojo has really, really disappeared. You can't mentor somebody back to having their mojo. They have to discover it for themselves. So coaching is the thing that helps. I think on a personal level, I think when I think about the people who have had the most profound effect in my life, I think it will always be those people who would probably fall into a coaching element. They, There's one person I'm thinking of, he was a coach. Peter Sinclair, if you're out there listening, you've affected my teaching in such a wonderful way and hopefully that's impacted on kids. So so thank you, Peter. But he, he, was, he was someone who I think had that skill of, of asking the right questions at the right time which had a profound impact. And so whilst I'm sure we will remember some mentors that may have taught us something about functionality, I think that that sort of poignant question asking that forms some of coaching can really you know, lead us to places that, that can have quite a significant effect on us for a long time. And I think that, that when it's done well, uh, you know, those moments are pretty special. I don't think you can be, I don't think you can be if you're in any kind of leadership role whatsoever, classroom teacher is a leadership role, really. Um, it, I mean, coaching is no, it's no longer a specialty, right? So um, I think Bill Campbell. So Bill Campbell, uh, trillion dollar coach. Uh, you know, there's a book written about him. So he was a coach of. Um, he was a Silicon Valley coach, right? So coach for Steve Jobs, Jeff Bezos. Eric Schmidt. So you're talking about like the three most influential comp- companies of our lifetime, right? Google, um, you know, uh, Amazon, and uh, Apple, right? So the, the the leaders of all these companies all had the same quote unquote coach. He was called the trillion dollar coach, right? He sat on the board of all of those companies simultaneously. Interestingly, right? Uh, you know, he he was a CEO of lots of companies. But anyway, his history, his background came from being a football coach. And they called him the coach. And his role was being the coach at all these companies. And he said, coaching is no longer a specialty. He said, you can't be a good manager without being a good coach. Right? I think the same is true for teacher or any leadership role whatsoever. Anywhere where you have people under your influence, you need to be able to coach. Right? Coach is a core skill. Um, I mean, but you know, so, so what's the difference between a coach and a mentor, I guess, is part of the, part of the question that we're still kind of grappling with what Robin was, was pointing out. I mean, you know, Craig, you were, Mm. you were kind of defining a mentor as someone who's going to show you how to hold a racket while a coach is going to maybe work more on the person and the personality. Um, is that, is that a fair definition? Do you agree with that definition, Robin, or do you see a mentor as something different? Robin? Hello. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were talking to Craig. I thought you were talking to Craig. <laughs> no, I said Robin. I see them. I see them think? as either they can be one. I've, I've certainly, 
Yeah, I've, I've certainly experienced having one person as both a coach and a mentor. But that's not to say that many of my coaches have been mentors for me. So they yet it has... So what's your definition of a mentor, though? Like, how, what's the difference between a mentor and a coach in your mind? Because I don't, I'm not sure that we're not necessarily defining them the same way. Yeah, a mentor to me is someone that uh, I look up to. Uh, I look to uh, for not just motivation, but inspiration, uh, who mm. engages me to be more curious. Yeah, so you've got a different, different definition than Craig, because Craig was implying that, and for him anyway, a mentor is someone who who is going to show you how to hold your, your uh, squash racket while the coach is going to look at the, the person. It's almost like you guys have inverse. Yeah, inverse. Uh, yes. Yeah. Should, 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 shall I summarize um, my, my position in, in a better way then? Um, mentor and coach are on the same continuum, mm. but you can't be both at the same time. One is directive. The mentor's directive. They, they, they tell you what to do. They, they do more of the heavy lifting. The coach is non-directive. Um, they they listen, they reframe things, they put it back to you, they say, is this just like you did to, to us there, Andy, is, is, is that what you're saying? You know, mentors help you to become more meta, uh, coaches get you to be more metacognitive, mentors get you to be more cognitive. Mm. This is a whole other, well, we're going to have, have another conversation on this, I can tell. All I'll right. get my definitions, yes, you know, straightened <laughs> out for you too. Get Someone get the dictionary yes. out. Well, I'll, I'll, go on, I'll go with mentor very quickly. Um, Odysseus's wise advisor was was the mentor. Told Odysseus um, in, in the Greek travels. Greeks um, again. You know, where, where, where's that? So you're making Andy's day here. Keep going, Craig. Andy here we go. Keep, keep the tape rolling. Always going back to your heritage. <laughs> so sorry, no, you have to say that again. I, when in all that sort of giggling, I lost I lost your message. What did you say, Craig? You said about Odysseus. Uh, he was Greek, was, Craig, um, by the way. Just so yeah, yeah. This is it. So from from the Great Odyssey, um, the, the the mentor is the wise advisor who who tells somebody which which door to go through. Right. That's what the mentor does. Whereas the coach would say, you know, which one do you think you should go through? Well, well, why not this one? What about if there was a th you know, the, the, what one makes you act the other one gets you to think before you act okay when in doubt always refer back to the ancient greeks That's oh here we go again <laughs> time to end this one craig thanks so much this has been awesome it's been a pleasure thank you